Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I am so excited about these next couple of shows because what we're going to do is take... Uh, practical things that all of us can do at home, whether it's playing with familiar toys or using familiar daily routines to help toddlers with language delays and disorders learn to use expressive language. Now, if you are just joining us, if you are not a therapist, but you're a parent and you're confused about the difference between expressive language, receptive language, receptive language means what you process, what you comprehend, what you receive is how you learn that. So we're not talking about that today, although let me just say, let me get a plug in for a receptive language. Kids have to understand words before they can begin to use words. So if you are watching this show as a parent and you have a little guy that's not following directions, some of the things that we're going to talk about today will be highly successful because they will help your child begin to link meaning with words. However, this show really focuses on expressive language, which is what a child communicates, what he expresses. And we're mostly going to talk about verbal language today. So learning to become verbal and use words, but we can also talk about or think about these ideas with other kinds of expressive language too, whether we're talking about signs or communicative gestures, which we will actually spend a lot of time talking about, or whether we uh, even take these same kinds of ideas and use them with children who are using other AAC systems like PECS, the Picture Exchange Communication System, or another kind of visual picture system. Perhaps they're using a device to use pictures to let you know what they want, or maybe even something a little more low-tech, like a Big Mac switch or a GoTalker or something that's super, super easy and inexpensive to get going with AAC. You can take these same ideas and apply them with your little... Uh, your own child or your little caseload, your little children who are your clients and uh, use these same kinds of ideas. So let's get started with that. So today in this part in podcast number 398, we're going to be talking about teaching expressive language with familiar toys. Now, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can see that I'm holding up a handout and you get this great handout when you purchase CE credit or continuing education credit for therapists. Now, lots of parents are telling me, though, hey, I don't need that credit. I don't even really know what you're talking about, but I do like the handout because it helps me remember the information, and then I can take it and use it in my home therapy program, or some parents have told me they're actually sharing it with their therapist with their team so that they can talk about the kinds of strategies that they're using at home and hopefully uh, complement the work that their therapist is doing as well. So they're really sharing ideas. So if you're a parent doing that, thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, so let's start with part one of this, which is teaching expressive language with familiar toys. So we are going to be looking at really familiar toys that most parents use or have or could easily get and how we can take uh, looking at uh, an ex uh, building expressive language using a very sequential, very logical uh, model that increases in complexity. Now, if I've lost you again, that just means we're going to take something that's really, really easy at the beginning and build on that with the kid so that eventually he begins to imitate phrases. And, you know, imitate is such a key word here because imitation is how kids learn everything and especially how to talk. But we can't take a kid who doesn't understand how to imitate and expect him to imitate words. We have to start back with easier, earlier levels. And I've spent so much time teaching this information in my career as a speech-language pathologist, but I'm so excited to get to teach it in this way because I think this is really the way that I think and it's really the way that I process information, and it's really the way that I that I share information with parents and teach this information to parents. So what we're going to do in this course, because it is a continuing education course for therapists, is really look at this kind of from a theoretical perspective first, and then we're going to take some real-life practical application things with our toys, and then in the next show with familiar routines, and I'm going to walk you through looking at expressive language from an increasingly complex uh, foundation. So we're going to start with teaching a child how to imitate, and again, first, not with words, but with actions, and then move him through this whole process. Now, if you uh, are just finding Teach Me to Talk or just finding me on YouTube and you don't really know about my work, I've got a whole website. It's teachmetotalk.com. And this 
Uh, and I have written, uh, the Lord has been so gracious to me, and I've written five treatment manuals that parents and therapists can use uh, at home or in clinical settings or wherever you are to work with toddlers with uh, speech and language delays and disorders. And so this method of taking really simple uh, ways of teaching imitation and then walking that through, like I've said a couple of times now, in increasingly complex steps, very, very sequentially, this is based on my my therapy manual, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. There's going to be a link below that in YouTube. But if you're happening to listen to this uh, through uh, your podcast platform, whether it's Blog Talk Radio or iTunes or whatever you use, you can't see me holding up that treatment manual or couldn't see me holding up that PDF. But know that if you're listening in the way that maybe you've listened since we started the show in 2008, you can still go to Teach Me to Talk and get the uh, credit for this course just with $5 and then entering all your information online so the the certificate is generated immediately and sent back to your email so do not listen to all these shows in the way that you normally do without getting the credit for that because you're already doing the work so as a therapist make sure you're getting that credit too all right so let's get back to talk about this kind of theoretical thing first with how and why we walk a child through learning to talk very, very sequentially. A lot of us as therapists, or even just as adults, as parents, we think about teaching a child to talk as getting him right in front of us and saying, say mama, say bye-bye, say more. And you know, it doesn't really work that way. It might look like it, because with a typically developing baby and toddler, they are naturally learning how to imitate through this process that we're going to talk about today, just by how they develop and mature during that first year to year and a half. But our little friends who are not acquiring language in the same way at the same rate haven't had some of those same experiences. So, so what we have to do as the adults working with them, whether we're their parent or the therapist, is back up and look at how kids learn how to imitate and figure out which level a kid is stuck on. What can he not do yet? And then we're going to back it up to each level each rung down if you want to think about it like steps we're going to maybe even get back to the very basic level where we have to teach a kid how to imitate actions with objects and again babies normally learn how to do this with their first year when they learn how to hold their bottles and they'll learn how to maybe pat their bottle or um, they learn how to use teething toys or shake a rattle or even as they uh, develop more fine motor control they're going to learn how to operate a busy box or a little kind of pop and pals toy or any kind of little music toy that they use their little finger or their whole hand to activate those little cause and effect toys all those things are so important and really really just critical steps in teaching a child to learn how to talk. And so sometimes we as parents or therapists get to that two-year level and a child isn't talking yet, and we just try to jump straight in there with words. And, and again, we've probably done this all along, but we're starting at a level that's obviously too difficult because if the, if the child could do it, he would already have done it on his own. So getting in front of a child and just having him try to repeat words, you already probably know that that doesn't necessarily work, which is why you're out here on YouTube or uh, on my website or uh, looking uh, for a podcast about this. And so that's what we want to talk about today is, again, how to get that going, how to get this whole process really, really rolling. So from this perspective, we're going to look at imitation or teaching a child to use expressive language in eight different steps or with eight different levels. And again, this always starts with imitation. And then we want to take this level that a child or this newly imitated skill that a child has learned to do and then we want to uh, practice it so much imitatively that it becomes spontaneous. Now spontaneous means that he's doing it on his own without cues from you. So without you saying say whatever your word is, say star or say ball or without you uh, cueing an action maybe or a gesture, maybe, a, you know, tell me, wave bye-bye, grandma's leaving, wave bye-bye to her, wave. And so you've got to really, really think about, again, 
um, how this all evolves. And so let's just talk about this. We're going to start with these, with these, starting with the most basic level when we're looking at where a kid is, and then we're going to work it down the other way. But children usually, like I said before, in that, um, when they're still babies, they begin to learn how to imitate actions with objects. And so there to, to do that, the prerequisite skill for that is that a child is connected to you, meaning that he has watched you <laughs> well enough and long enough to try to do what you're doing. And that whole process of see and then do, see and then do, watch and do, watch and do. Again, that's how we learn everything. That's why you, you're doing that right now. If you were watching me on YouTube, that's what you're doing. You're watching a video so you can learn how to do what you want to do. Listening in the car right now or listening as you exercise or whatever you like to do as you listen to podcasts, clean is what I do most often when I listen. Um, you are doing that as well. You are taking, taking in that information and then you're going to be able to do it. So that's how children learn to do that. So uh, actions with objects, that's our basic level. The next level is then once a kid learns how to, he's, he's paying attention to you, he's noticed you. And again, that social engagement piece is the foundation for that. And once he has that, then he begins to do this level one skill, which is imitate actions with objects. And so uh, we're going to be talking about toys today, but we're also going to apply this same theory when we get to uh, the next show with daily routines, so using objects in our daily routines. And so that was level one. Level two then is a step a little bit harder for kids, and then they learn how to imitate body movements. And wait, they turn things like learning how to clap or learning how to uh, wave bye-bye or learning how to point. All those things really become uh, communicative or communicative uh, as parents begin to teach a child how to do that within the context of an interaction with somebody else. So it's not just that a child is waving bye-bye. It ha it's meaningful. It means... I'm telling you goodbye. I'll see you later. You're about to leave or I'm about to leave. One of us is, is getting out of here. <laughs> and so we're waving and that become, that motor action becomes, or that body movement becomes communicative. And as we teach a child what that means when he waves. And so that's our second level. So can you see how we've already progressed from actions with objects to body movements to now we've made those body movements mean something. And that's the foundation for language. When we take an action like pointing, what would pointing mean? It either means look at that, pay attention to that, or I want that. So again, this evolves and these gestures evolve and become more and more meaningful and more and more interactive and ways for a child to get his message across to you. So a way for him to communicate to you. So then we're going to make it a little bit more complex and we are breaking to, and move toward the talking piece. And we're going to break this down in the same sequential way. Because again, unless we are targeting that just right developmental level where the skill first First begins to break down and we think about communication skills as a continuum and that one skill is the that foundation is laid and then we have another level and then another level and another level that's what we're doing here and so we, we move to communicative gestures and we're, we're kind of moving up the body toward the mouth and so now we get to non-verbal actions with your mouth and so this is really a level three in our uh, building verbal imitation skills in toddlers if, if we were um, looking at that book or looking at this model. And so uh, this is, is, again, getting it right here to this mouth level. Now, let me say, all children do not need this nonverbal uh, copying nonverbal motor actions because they're already doing that and they're already skilled enough to do that. But for a really small subset of toddlers who usually have significant uh, sensory issues with their mouths because they either have a lot of low tone, their muscle tone is different, so they have a neurological diagnosis like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or some other genetic um, difference that they their muscle tone is affected throughout their whole body and it certainly includes their mouths and when you have low muscle tone you don't always have the same kind of sensory input you might you often need more sensory input to even really be able to recognize that you have control over that part of that of your body and so for some kids they are going to need this level three where we are really really looking at helping them learn how to imitate uh, movements with their mouth but we don't put the sound part in yet because sometimes that's the trip up for some kids that's the problem they can do the mouth movements but they can't coordinate the sound and so for some kids we have to go back to that level for the majority of children once even late talkers even toddlers with uh language disorder, something like autism. We're going to move on past that level three and go to level four, which would be, 
excuse me, vocalizations in play. And this is kind of like using sound effects. And so this is where a kid learns that he's got a voice and he can turn it on, but it's not quite as hard as saying a word. And the good thing about this is these kinds of vocalizations are fun. And it's what babies start to do, like fake coughing. Uh, have you been around a baby who likes to do that, say six months or maybe even something like nine or 10 months where they're, <laughs> they love that game with you. They'll do it to get your attention or that they first start to copy it when their parents do it too. And so that's how they learn to become vocal. And that's a nice first step for so many of our little friends who are late talkers. And their parents may have really started with them with, you know, say this, say that, and they're not having very, very much success. But then we back that up to looking at vocalizations in play. And aha, we're getting somewhere. Because they can copy like, like a brake sound as they're playing cards. Or they can kind of say, ooh, ooh, like a choo-choo train there. And that's where a lot of our little friends, if you're a therapist, you think about this. If you're a speech-language pathologist or a developmental interventionist or early interventionist, whatever they call teacher people in your state, when, when a lot of times when we get a referral for a child with delayed speech or delayed speech language or delayed language, whatever, whatever the terminology is where you live, that, that you, where you get your referrals, lots of times they're already kind of at this level. And even the next level, level five, where they bump it up a little bit more and they use exclamatory words. So they're saying things like moo or beep, beep, or womb, womb. You know, you could spell that. You know, womb, womb isn't a really common kind of car sound. You know, we sort of, if we were going to spell it, we'd probably think about vroom, vroom. But then a lot of our little guys really would say something like womb and then I would spell it you know w-o-o-m to me that's an exclamatory word because I can spell it you know we use the same letters and sounds to make up words as we do even with these little early vocalizations but sometimes as therapists we we know this theoretically but we don't back up far enough so that we're really teaching a child to do this and a lot of times uh, when I first started Going to school back in the 1980s, we talked a lot about babbling. And, well, first of all, we didn't talk a lot about seeing babies. <laughs> and toddlers' early intervention was still pretty new then. I mean, that started in the 70s, but, you know, I went to college in the 80s. And they... Um, uh, Therapists would talk about with, with our children who we were working with, the like cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, or who already had an identifiable diagnosis, hearing loss maybe. And we would talk about getting speech and language going, and we talked a lot about facilitating babbling. And that was that was hard, guys. And for some kids, they like it, and that kind of starts out that way. But in my um, 26, 27, how many ever years it is now, career... I've had a lot more success starting with these kinds of play sounds and exclamatory words than babbling. So if that's new for you, if you're a therapist who's maybe just switching to early intervention or just really starting to think about how, how you can hone your skills and just get better and better and better and more and more skilled, and you're thinking about every single thing you do, this change may be the most significant thing that you can offer for new children coming on your caseloads or children who maybe aren't making a lot of progress with expressive language and you've been stuck for months and months or children who you're using AAC systems for, but you think, how am I ever going to get them to be more vocal? What am I going to do? Start here with level four and level five and help a child really learn how to consistently control his voice. And you can do it with games like, you know, yeah, screaming and yelling. We've talked a lot about that on previous shows, and um, there's a whole section about that as a pre-linguistic skill in my book, Let's Talk About Talking, that I'll mention at the end to let you know resources that are available to you. But again, unless a kid is really here and learns how to do this uh, vocal play level, he's not going to get to words because he's just not there yet. So once we have a child at that level, then we make it even a little bit more difficult, and we bump up to automatic speech during verbal routines. Now, as a speech language pathologist if you'll if you've always been with pediatrics think back though to your graduate school career with adult neuro and what was the thing that we try to do with all of our adult neuro patients or maybe uh, pediatric neuro patients if you were fortunate enough to get a clinical setting like that 
Maybe you knew with a stroke or with a head injury, a TBI, you are going to start with automatic speech to try to help them regain some of the functional speech that they've lost. But we start at things that are deeply embedded or implanted or wired in to our system so that we remember them. So as an adult, that might be a a song you sang as a child. If you are, um, if you go to church, it might be a hymn that you sang. And you might, you may not have been to church for 20 years, but somebody starts singing Amazing Grace and you know that hymn. And so again, that's automatic speech. And for us with, with toddlers, we use that same theory with, hey, we want to get this going with highly familiar, context-dependent words, meaning that if we say ready, set, Go! A child knows how to fill that in because he's heard you say ready, set, go hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Or something like one, two, three. A kid learns that that comes next and it's automatic. It's not something that he's really, you've worked on it, you've taught it to him, but it's just there. It's just developed. It's reflexive almost. And so that's where we want to go next with that. And then we want to move on finally to functional words. And so can you see how Lots of times as a therapist or a parent, how you've started down here at what really we've walked through seven different levels, you are up here. You've started at level seven when really maybe the kid that you are uh, parenting or the kid that you're working with is way down here and he can copy actions with objects. But if you try to get him to do a lot of stuff with his body and imitation of you, he can't really wave bye-bye yet. And he's not really clapping all the time when you try to get him to clap. Or maybe he can do those, but he can't point or he can't, you've been working on the sign more or please or eat or drink you've been working on those for weeks or months and you just can't get it you can't jump to words with those kinds of kids you've got to back up and get these steps and get them there because that's how we know how language develops so uh, that's our whole theory there level seven was functional words and then and only then when a kid can imitate and then spontaneously produce 35 to 50 single words on his own then he moves up to level eight which would be using short phrases and this would be combining words into phrases so that's what we're going to do we're going to take this level and we sort of started, we mentioned this briefly, but the very beginning of this whole process is that a child is engaged and connected enough with you to be able to do these kinds of things and, and, and notice that you are modeling, uh, you know, beep, beep for him to imitate and care that you are there playing cards with him and that you are staying with him and that he includes you in that activity. So when kids aren't doing that, we know that social component is missing. And again, this method is not going to be as successful because you got to back up even further and get those social engagement, social interaction and that reciprocity going with that child. So again, we talked about the social piece as a foundational piece and we talked about receptive language at the very beginning meaning that a child follows some directions and remember what I said even with this method even if a child doesn't have strong receptive language skills or he doesn't follow directions as well as expected for his age this method will still work with him but you're really focused on helping him understand what he's doing and following directions in level one where he's beginning to imitate actions with objects so if you had uh, let's say that we were, and we're going to talk about a lot of these toys in a second, but let's just say you had these cars here and you, you were saying to him, you know, he's sitting here and he hasn't pushed it yet, but you were going to say, push, push, push. And you are doing that. You're thinking you're doing that to get him to say the word, but what would come first is actually him understanding that you mean for him to take his hand and, and apply pressure to the car and push it across uh, the table or across the floor there and so again that receptive language piece is really really critical and kids will learn to understand language with this but a lot of times we're gonna have to back up even further again like I said with social with the social skill piece you might have to do this with the receptive language piece too so that um, you are really targeting that and a lot of times we work on this stuff together we'll think well well his expressive language oh he's still right down here at imitating actions with objects. And with those kids, certainly you are working on that social connection and you are working on that receptive language piece. Like I gave you with that example with push with the car or if you you are, um, any of the things that we're gonna talk about, we'll, we'll insert that receptive language piece so that you are familiar with that and you understand why we're doing that as well. And if you're a parent, I really, really want you to know that and really understand that until kids understand words they're not going to be able to say words and use those words functionally or meaningfully to communicate now they may sit and label pictures in a book 
They may do flashcards with you. They may say something that's related to their game, but then they don't really use those words to request or to comment or to just participate in conversation with you. You can't, if they're crying in the kitchen and you say, what do you want? They may be able to say cup when they're looking at a book, but then they may not be able to say cup to ask for the drink that they want. And so that's that's pragmatics or that's using your language. And so again, this method helps that as well. But for some of those children, we're gonna have to back up even further, like I said before, and work on those other prerequisite skills. All right, so another piece, we've talked about those levels there. So we have eight levels that we're gonna walk through with these toys. And we're going to figure out where a kid is developmentally. And usually you're going to start working at the first level. He starts having trouble. So with a lot of these kids, you'll say, well, he can't say words. Let me work it. Start on functional words. That's not it. Remember what we said? We're going to back up until we find something that he can already do. So if we say, okay, let's start at the top here. Level eight, short phrases. He can't do, sh he's not doing phrases. No, so that's not right. Okay, is he saying a lot of single words? No, so that's not right. Is he complete? We, we can't start there. That's not the right starting point. Is he, uh, we back up then to the next level down to level six. Is he able to complete just some words that are um, in little songs or little rhymes? Will he say words in those kinds of contexts? And you go, well, no, not really. All right, so then you think, oh, wow, exclamatory words. Let me go that next level down. Is he saying words like uh-oh and wow and we? And if you say, yeah, he's doing a few of those, ding, 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 you have your starting point. That's where you should start. So anytime you get to the point where he's He's kind of doing it. He's almost doing it. You have two or three examples, but you don't have very many. That's usually the point where you need to start. And so as a therapist, you can take this and really talk a parent through that. That same explanation that I just gave, use it. <laughs> use that as you're talking to parents and say, we have to kind of start with what he's not doing and work all the way back down to what he is able to do because that's going to be, or barely able to do, what's emerging as the therapist would say. And that's where you want to start with that. So what we're going to do now, we talked about getting that appropriate starting point. We're going to get the level where he's just barely successful. <coughs> and again, don't jump too far ahead. Sometimes we'll have a kid who says, Mama, when he's upset, and sometimes he'll pop out a word that he hears all the time on one of his favorite shows, and you say, okay, that's functional words. I'm starting there. Don't do that either because a lot of times kids will have a lot of kind of splinter skills, and so that's, that's something that's well above where he is. Then if you walk to that kid down, he's not even really using a lot of gestures way back at level two. And so even though he's got a couple of words, you can't start up there because something's wrong. Something is not falling into place like it should. And so then you know when you have something there that a kid seems stuck or plateaued, you know you've got to back up. And so you might get all the way back down in all of these categories. You might say, well, he says, sometimes he says boo-boo. You know, when, I, when I'm kissing him, if he's gotten hurt or something, sometimes he'll copy that. You know, that's not good enough. So then you, you know, the one example in that, in a category isn't enough uh, for you to be satisfied enough to move on from there. So you would say, well, I know I've got to work on exclamatory words, but then you keep going backwards and you say, you know, communicative gestures, he really doesn't wave bye-bye or hit, the way he waves bye-bye is it's kind of hit or miss or it's kind of, kind of unpredictable or it might even be a little bit odd or atypical. You know, he looks at his hand when he does it so he's not really directing that to somebody else and he, he kind of gets stuck there and he, he sort of seems like he's waving to himself and he doesn't even realize there's somebody else there for him to wave to. And so then you would know, oh, wow, i got to start way back at communicative gestures. Even though he's got a pop-out word or two, he's just not at the functional level where communicative gestures where he's really using that. He might imitate it or might do it on cue, but he really doesn't do it spontaneously. And, and he might only have one or two gestures. And again, you think, I need lots of examples of these per category. So for some kids, you've got to back way on up and think, well, I've just got to start at the beginning because he's so scattered. All of his skills are all over the place. And so that might be another starting point. One other critical piece of information before we move to, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, play ideas with familiar toys is that for every one of these goals, for all of these 11 increasingly complex levels of vocalizations here, verbalizations, um, Adults have to know that when we are working on this with a child, that doesn't mean that we just say it one or two times and we want them to, we expect them to imitate it. That's wonderful. If you've had that happening, woohoo for you <laughs> because the kid is already halfway there. But what, uh, because he's uh, trying to do it and he's got that imitation piece down, he might just have another kind of 
Um, you know, again, it might be a sequencing problem or whatever's going on there. My point here is that adults have to really know that that uh, evidence tells us, research-based evidence tells us that we have to model something new, whatever our target is, whatever our goal is. We have to model that 12 to 18 times before we can realistically expect a child to begin to imitate. So in every activity that we're doing that we're going to talk about with our toys here, we have to pick out what our target is. And remember, it might not always be a word. It might be that sound effect kind of sound. It might be um, an automatic speech verbal routine thing. It might be an action that we're doing at the very beginning in level one. Whatever that is, the adult has to do it 12 to 18 times per activity. And so as therapists, the only way that we know that we've done anything is what? It's with data. So you don't need to collect data on the child. <laughs> you need to collect data on you or on the parent, or a parent would do this for themselves. Whatever your keyword or your key sound or your key action or gesture happens to be, you've got to do that. You've got to give the child enough repetition so that this target is easily identifiable by the child, meaning that he recognizes it. He knows what you're saying. He's seen you do it a lot. It's not brand new to him. So he's got to be familiar enough with it to be able to copy. And especially our children with uh, diminished or decreased uh, imitation skills, they don't have enough practice with imitation a lot of times. And, and again, that's why they're not talking, because that's just imitation does not come easily to them. They are still way down in these lower levels, and we have to strengthen that skill. We have to provide enough practice and enough opportunities there for that child to get successful at that developmental level expressive developmental level so that he can begin to climb that rung and move toward talking and move toward words. All right, so we've gotten our levels. We're going to work through this very, very sequentially, and we've gotten the most important piece about an adult is going to have to model it 12 to 18 times, whatever the target is. And let me just say one quick little word about how the adult should do it. And I've, I've written a lot about this, about being playful. Um, I have a whole section about that in my DVD, Teach Me to Talk, which is now free on YouTube. If you haven't seen that, I'd highly encourage that. And there's a whole section on playfulness and how that's the very first skill that or quality that I work on with a parent when I start to work with a family is helping them really, really learn how to engage their child and helping them know that you're going to have to get on the floor and you're going to have to do what your child likes to do and you can't be a bump on a log. You've got to be fun. You've got to be animated. You've got to make your face radiate so that a child wants to be with you and he he's attracted to you and he, he likes you and he wants to be connected with you and he wants to engage with you. And so that is a really, really important thing too. And so if you're not sure how to do that, I'm so excited that Johnny and I were able to get Teach Me to Talk, able to offer that for free now, uh, especially with the pandemic, with uh, having resources for parents and for therapists, because lots of us who are, uh, are doing th teletherapy, it's harder to sometimes model this stuff for parents or or. Frankly, here's what happens. It's easier to let a parent watch a video about it <laughs> when you are not really able to do it right there for them as easily as you were if they were coming to see you in your office or at school or if you were going to see them for a home visit. And so having that, talking about this in a session with the parent, whether you get to see them in person again one day or whether uh, you are, <coughs> excuse me, working um online with a parent. Sometimes it's just easier for them to see somebody else do it. So you teach them how to do it and then you have them watch some videos. And so if you want to use our videos for that, we would be so honored uh, to be able to do that for you with the families that you serve. So look that up on YouTube. It's Teach Me to Talk and you can, uh, it's on our channel. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe so that you can uh, get all of our information there. All right, so let's get back to what these familiar toys are. And let me talk about how I chose these. I picked these toys because, as we said before, they are usually readily available. A parent can get them. If they don't have um, the deluxe version of that that they might have buy on Amazon or uh, in a store when we were shopping in person all the time, they might have gotten this, but they can also get this kind of thing. They may just have something already at home like this or or at the dollar store. You can find a lot of these toys. So these are things, too, that are easily available. And I'd start with toys, too, and daily routines. But I really start talking to parents a lot about toys 
from the very first session because play is a daily routine for toddlers and so many of our parents don't play with their children one-on-one. They don't really even know how to play. And so really starting with toys kind of sets everything off. And we don't want to ignore daily routines. We want parents working on language all day, every day. And it is easy for parents to remember, oh, I need to do this at bath time and this at meal time because we've tied it to their routines. And that's fantastic. And I love it. We're going to talk about that in the next show. But I really like emphasizing with play with parents, play with parents, because so many times we have to get them started to think about that direct one-on-one contact that's sustained, and it's not just a little five-minute hit there and five-minute hit there, here, and and I know some of you as therapists are cringing when I'm talking about this now because you really have fully embraced, we're just going to embed everything in a daily routine, and we're just going to, just going to really build on what a parent's already doing and I love that and I do that too but I just don't want to leave play out of that and and in these last few years when I really have changed the focus of my career you know I moved to a different uh, very underserved very rural part of my home state of Kentucky um, I just started seeing things a lot differently than I had in my <laughs> in my previous populations that I treated. And certainly when I spoke around the country and got to meet therapists who work for different populations and in, in, in the country <laughs> where I live now or in non, uh, places that aren't cities, places that maybe there's poverty and people don't have a lot of resources. And just again, there's just a totally different culture where toys aren't prioritized and play isn't prioritized. And somehow we've gotten to the point where people have convinced us that we can just say, well, whatever you're doing as a parent is going to be good enough. And we'll just try to give you a few little cues and good luck to you. That does not work. And so talking about play with the parent from the very beginning and saying, hey, you know, you're going to have to do some things differently if we want some different results. And your child isn't talking, and so we've got to change the things that you do with him at home. And, yes, we can keep some of the same things. And bath time is a great time to work on language. And and and, and meals are a great time to work on language. And changing the diaper, oh, that's just perfect. But play is important, too. So that's why we're going to start with these toys. And I've picked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different familiar play routines, familiar activities that we can do with kids. And we're going to walk through these levels. And I'm going to give you some ideas of what to do at every uh, expressive language developmental level like we've already identified. Give you some ideas of what we want a child to do. Uh, with these toys and we're going to have to go through these pretty quickly but if you get the CE credit for this I have a handout with look how tiny this print is (laughs) so that you can get these specific ideas that we're going to talk about and then we're going to talk about how you can take this theory and really really use it with parents and I want to be sure that I am showing you what I do with this too but because I said before this is kind of the way that I think and I think a lot of therapists think like me with this, that we want to take an activity. Let's just start with our first one with bubbles. And we want to think, how can I work with these bubbles at each one of these developmental levels? And again, this might be more to do with you as a therapist in your skill set, in your kind of bag of tricks than you uh, would for an individual child or family. We're going to talk about what to do about that in a minute because remember, children will be at one of these levels or a couple of these levels, you might sort of work on them simultaneously, <coughs> but through all of the things. So for some kids, as when you're talking to parents, you're going to have to really talk to them about, uh, let's say they're at the vocalizations in play level or sound effect kind of level. You're going to take sound effects and think about sound effects with bubbles and then sound effects with cars and sound effects with farm animals and sound effects with baby dolls and sound effects with a book that we're going to look at. And so you're going to think about that as just one level with the child. But as a therapist right now, I want to take these activities and kind of walk you through thinking about them with all these different levels within one activity. And again, this might apply to you, uh, might apply to you more as a therapist with, okay, with this kid with bubbles, I'm working on this. And with this kid with bubbles, I'm working on this. And with this family, we're going to focus on this. And we already think about it like that, but sometimes not 
as concretely as we should. And so we need to have these ideas just ready to talk about with parents. And if we're showing them, especially if we're showing them and doing online sessions with teletherapy, this is going to be the kind of thing that'll be a great resource for you because you can say, okay, this is my model that I'm going to use with expressive language now because this is based on a developmental trajectory that has been proved by years and years and years of scientific research. And I've seen it over and over with typical development. And I know that these kinds of things still work with my kids who were delayed, meaning that time they just haven't caught up. Or even my kids that are disordered that just have their language, speech language skills everywhere. Or they have a developmental disorder like autism that you know that they're learning differently and they're acquiring skills in an atypical sequence. And so you can then take these handouts and look at your various developmental levels and think, you know, with this family, I, again, we're doing this, and then we're doing this. And so you can kind of think about it both ways. But with something like bubbles, so with a level one, if you have gotten your handout, or if you have building verbal limitation in toddlers, if you have that therapy manual, gosh, get your chart out and look at that. And I hope that you're using this chart, that you are really, really looking at it. <coughs> Excuse me. And you can use this as kind of your cheat sheet, even during a session. And even for parents, if you're developing uh, this as your primary treatment recommendation for a family, this is what you might do is take uh, your copy of the chart and copy it for parents or take a picture and send it to them so that they can see exactly what you're looking at here. So let's take bubbles. And so first we're going to start with what? Actions with objects. So what are some actions with objects that you can do with a bubble? Well, of course we can blow but more, gosh, of course that's going to pop and not let me do it. But we can blow and then, oh well, these things happen. <laughs> you can pop the bubble on the floor with your palm or in the air with your finger. Um, that really is going to kind of be a level one slash level two activity because that is a body movement. But we can also use the wand here. We can shake the wand. We can catch, which I was going to try to do is catch the bubble on the wand and see if we can, you know, hold the wand up, hold the wand down, shake the bubbles. Like we already said, anything like that, where they are copying that action with you. And this is what you might do with an individual kid too, to kind of see where they are, <coughs> excuse me, developmentally as you're working with them. Uh, pardon me while I take a drink. Okay. As you were working with them, you can start with the kid and say, is he doing these level one things? Is he copying these actions with objects? And you say yes, and then you say, aha, that's great. I'm going to move on to level two. So what are some things you can do with level two that uh, with bo uh, body movements and communicative gestures? Well, we could do some different things with those bubbles to make sure that we aren't just popping bubbles in the normal way. We're going to pop bubbles in a new way so that we can really assess whether a child is truly imitating. So we might clap the bubbles or we might punch the bubbles or we might kick the bubbles, anything that's a little bit unusual so that we can really gauge a child's ability to imitate that. We can bump it up a little, little more and make something communicative or communicative in the context of that activity too with the bubbles. So we can say, okay, you know, he's jumping when I jump and he's trying to you know, pop the bubbles with his fist, you know, he's trying to pal those bubbles as I say that. Let me see, what will he do if I point? Will he point to a bubble? You know, that's that's that next level up, that isolated index finger point. Will he do that? Will he clap every time I say, yay, after we pop the bubbles? Is he going to do that for me? When we're putting the bubbles, if a bubble's floating away, and if I wave bye-bye, is he going to do that for me? If uh, I say, do you want some more bubbles, and shake my head, nod my head yes, will he nod his head yes in imitation of me? And so that is a level two. And then you would say, fantastic. Let's see what we can do next. Let's move him on up to level three three, which would be nonverbal actions with his face and his mouth. And so you start to think, what can I do with bubbles? Well, blow, which is your most obvious thing that you can do. And you know that blowing doesn't really make him learn how to talk or sucking. But at the same time, you also know that this may be a child who doesn't even really realize that he has control of his mouth. And so you're going to teach him again how to watch you carefully so that he's connected and interacting with you and so that he can copy what you do with your mouth because until he can do that he really can't talk and if he's at the point where he's popping out sounds and words fantastic you don't need this level 
He's bypassed that. But for our kids who are stuck and our kids who don't seem to be making progress any other way, a lot of times this level three is where I back up to. And there could be something going on like uh, apraxia where kids, again, cannot uh, plan and uh, their motor movements or sequence their motor movements. And so this is going to be extremely difficult for a child. And again, a lot of our kids with apraxia bypass this because this is so inherently difficult but we have to know and it's a diagnostic piece of information <coughs> excuse me and we don't spend a lot of time on our treatment plans here but we do it long enough to make sure that a child understands that he can he can control his mouth he has a tongue and he can do things with it so for with bubbles what are some things you could do with your mouth and with your we've talked about blowing you could smack your lips like you're popping the bubbles you would say oh those bubbles say you know, or something like that. Or you could say, oh, I bet I can lick that bubble. Anything like that where you're going to do, or you might make big cheeks and then pop them like that. That might be a fun little social routine that you get going that, again, is kind of a level three thing here because the child is imitating what you're doing uh, with your face. So that's what you would do. And you would say, aha, this kid can do it. So let me bump him up to level four. What can I do there? And that's vocalizations in play. And remember, these are sounds that you make with your mouth, but they're not really words yet. And they may even kind of defy transcription. If you're a speech pathologist, you may not, you may think, how can I write that? How do I transcribe that sound? But it might be something uh, like blowing a raspberry while you're playing with the bubbles. So, you know, oh, oh, I'm going to do this with my lips. And getting a kid to do that. It might be something like even saying, pop, 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 pop. those bubbles pop, 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 pop. And again, we know that working on individual phonemes is not always what we need to do with late talkers. We need to go straight to words. But for some kids, we do have to break it down to this point where this is where they are really tripping up developmentally. This is where they're stuck. So this is where we're going to meet them. It might even be something like, you know, inhaling loudly so that we are going, <gasps> You know, and see if we can get a kid to do something like that because he can't imitate words, but maybe he can imitate sounds. So that's where we are with bubbles with uh, vocalizations in play. That's level four. Level five, we're going to bump up to exclamatory words. And again, to help parents remember what that is, that's just any word that you would exclaim or any word that would have an exclamation point. So something like, wow, or whee, as the bubbles are all falling down, or something like, popper i was telling you before i teach a lot of my little friends to pow the bubbles and i just can't tell you the success that i have with that little word because it's something that little boys and little girls like to do anyway and it's uh, something new and novel and it's so fun that a lot of times they'll just pop that little word out before they even really realize they're doing it so that's a trick that we can do with bubbles at level five with exclamatory words then for level six remember this is automatic speech and verbal routines so we might say something like we can just say something really traditional like ready, set, go, or if you want to be really cute about it with the bubbles, you might do ready, set, blow, and then blow the bubbles as a little uh, play on that. And what you want to do here anytime, and I forgot to say this when we were talking about um, how we set this up when we were doing the introduction. When we're doing automatic speech and verbal routines, you have to figure out what you want to say. So it's your little phrase, and you're going to say the same words at the same time in the same way every uh, every incident that you participate in an event so if you're going to do something like ready set go before you play games you have got to commit to saying ready set go and and primarily ready set go so that your child has heard it long enough so that, that when you start to say you can set him up and this is again called the close method or I talk about it with parents as fill in the blank you can say ready set and pause and give that anticipatory tell me face where you are looking forward and leaning forward and your eyes are big and you're smiling and you're just doing everything with your body to say it's your turn <laughs> come on work with me here fill that little word in come on brains remember it say it mouth and so you're thinking it that way and and again you're not necessarily saying those words but all of your body language is saying that and you've set it up enough times with practice so that your kid has heard one two three you know 70 times today already and so eventually he starts to try to say three because that's how our brains work and that's 
That's what our bodies are designed to do. That's how speech-language skills develop. And so you might think about what your routines are going to be with bubbles. With almost anything that I do a lot with uh, a routine like bubbles or playing with baby dolls or whatever, I, I make up songs. And I might have the same song from kid to kid. Or sometimes, you know, I'm just... I just have a different, uh, something has happened with one kid that I just keep sticking to that song with him and I may not ever use it with another kid, but somehow it works. Or a family teaches me a song that they sing about bubbles. So come up with some kind of little song about bubbles and it, guys, it does not matter if you can sing. <laughs> sing anyway. My husband has really taught me that. We, uh, Johnny, who's my other half in uh, Teach Me to Talk, and he, he, uh, we work with some children in our children's uh, Wednesday night program at church, and he'll just sing and sing and sing, and people just talk to him about, Johnny, I, you're doing these little Awana videos now for your church, and you just sing every week, and you just, they, they, they stop themselves from saying, and you don't care that you just, you are off tune, and you are... <laughs> You are loud and you just don't care. And that is so great. And so if you're a therapist and you can't sing, you need to embrace that. You need to tell your parents, look, if I'm doing it and I'm, I'm going for it, you can go for it too. And it makes such a big difference. So just make up a song. You might, you know, sing something like pop, pop, pop the bubbles, pop, pop, pop the bubbles. You might just sing bubbles, 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 bubbles everywhere. And you're not even really singing there. You're just kind of chanting and that's okay. But just make sure that you say the same thing every single time you play with the bubbles. And so that might be your verbal routine. And then next, you're going to look at what functional words when a kid is, is imitating. That's what we haven't said either. When a kid can do, or we have said it, but when a kid can do lots of different examples at that level. So when he has several little things that he fills in at verbal routines, then you know, gosh, he is ready to start trying to imitate some functional words. And so you would try words like that you've even been saying as you've been playing, as you've worked with the child through this continuum. You've been saying pop, and you've been saying bubble, and you've been ha saying, oh, you want some more? God, tell me, tell me more. And you might have introduced the sign for more way back at level two, but now you're ready for the work here at uh, level seven with the functional word. <coughs> Excuse me. And so you can take the handout and look at what the functional words are that are most successful with me or for me with children. But think about just the words that you've naturally said as you've played. And again, isolate these single words. Don't teach phrases. Don't teach I want that or I want more or more please until a child is using a variety of single words. And this is what's going to really help with receptive language. So many of our little friends have receptive language delays because nobody's really simplified language enough for them to really, really, really understand what words mean. <clears throat> and so they might understand that every day when they're getting ready to go to school, that they would, or daycare, wherever they go, or grandma's now, wherever they're going, that they need to get their shoes and their backpack. But if you said to them, and because they see their mom getting ready, and it's that time of day, and it's that routine, they know what to do. But if you just said to them, as you're sitting there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, while they're getting ready to watch their show, if you say, go get your shoes, there's no response. Find your shoes, no response. Where are your shoes, no response. You know, oh my goodness, he doesn't really understand find your shoes. He only does that because it's part of the routine in the morning. And so a lot of times when we back things up to this really single word level, our kids get a bump and they start to make progress because we are simple enough for them to finally begin to understand what words mean and really, really link meaning there. And so think about the words that you're using. What else would be some functional words for bubble? Uh, blow, we've talked about. Open, help, all done. Those kinds of things are functional too. In, as we're putting uh, the wand in and out. And so think about those kinds of things, the words that a kid would really need to understand. And those are the words he should be able to say, too, when you are thinking about a routine with a familiar toy. All right, and then lastly, once a kid is doing a lot of functional words, and remember we said when they're using words on their own or spontaneously, and they have 35 to 50 words that you hear consistently, then and only then do we start to work on two-word phrases. And we begin with holistic things that a kid learns as one whole chunk, like, I got it, I did it, where'd it go, what's that? 
that, those kinds of things, those kinds of holistic phrases are kind of a really, really important in-between step for a lot of kids. And then we move to more traditional combinations that we pull from a child's existing vocabulary. So if he already says more and he already says bubble, then we try to get him to say what? More bubble. So that, those are the kinds of combinations that we choose for short phrases, things that we've already heard him use spontaneously, and then we combine to see if we can get an imitated uh, short phrase there. All right, so that was bubble. So do you see what we do? We take the theory with all these levels, and we get some ideas of what we're going to work on or what we could say using whatever um, toy it is. So let's do cars next. And so let's look at some things we could say with cars. And so if I were teaching this course live, this is what we would do. We would have participation. <laughs> and I would say, okay, get out your cheat sheets and look back at level one. What are some actions you can do with a car? So what would you say? If I were there with you now, you would tell me, oh, well, I can roll it. I can crash it into another car. I can put cars in the station. I can make a ramp with my book for my cars to go up and down. If I have a book or a puzzle, I can make a ramp like that. I can uh, knock on the door of the car. I can even do something totally unexpected, <coughs> excuse me, like blow on the car or kiss the car. And again, why am I doing that? Does that make a lot of sense? No. But you know that the child then is able to imitate because it's not it's an unexpected action. It's something that he would not have done on his own. So you know then that he's imitating. So we look at that with level one and then level two with cars. Look at your cheat sheet. Look at your handout. What was level two? It's imitate body actions or body movements and communicative gestures. So what are some things that we can do here? We can pretend like we're driving like a car. And that just so happens to be the sign, the baby sign, and the ASL sign for car. And so we're going to pantomime there and do that and see if a kid can imitate that. Or when we know, okay, a kid's not waving bye-bye, he's not pointing, he's not clapping. This is the level I need to be working on with him to get him to talk here. So every time I'm playing with cars then, I'm pantomiming the driving. I am... Uh, Knocking on the car's door. I'm doing anything that I can do that I am, I'm going to lead him to learn how to uh, use those gestures. And we're going to start with him imitating those body actions. And then I'm going to start pointing at the car. Then we're going to wave bye-bye as we roll the car across the floor. All right, let's bump on up to level three. What are some nonverbal actions that we can do with your face and your mouth? Um, this is kind of hard. Sometimes we have trouble with this one. And I sort of stick to the same ones. I'll say, oh, look how that, uh, listen how that car sounds. Listen how it sounds. You know, and again, that's not a verbal thing. We're almost moving on up to level four with that vocalization in play. But we're getting to see how he can imitate with his mouth here. We might do something like um, pouting if we lose a race. Or we might, you know, do a big, wild, animated facial expression to see if that's something he can do. Or we might just say, oh, you know, those little, listen, listen, I hear those wheels. And really click our tongues or do something like that. And so then we know, or wiggle our tongues. Oh, that car's going so fast. It's like this. Can you wiggle your tongue fast like that car? And so you're going to do those kinds of things and see where a kid is. And remember with level three, we don't always need to see that because research tells us that not every kid with a language delay needs that. But for some kids, they do. All right, then we're going to move them up to sound effects. So vocalizations in play. So this would be like screeching brakes like, or a horn, you know, woo, woo, or woo, woo, or anything like that, or, you know, as the car crashes. And remember, this is where we can't, we don't really know if it's a word or not, but we know a kid is saying something. So those little sound effect kinds of things. And then we bump up to exclamatory words. So with the car, what are some things you could say? You could say beep, beep, or vroom, vroom, or uh, boom, or, you know, even something like, uh, whoa, when uh, the child is playing. So anything that we would exclaim or yell there. And so next, and once a kid's doing a lot of those things, and remember we said we want a lot of different examples per level, the next little bump up, those little kids are going to be ready to do automatic speech and verbal routine. So this would be like ready, set, go, or one, two, three, or um, a song about a car or a truck that you could sing there where they fill in the last word. And remember that's what we said where we're going to create that familiarity so that they hear it over and over and over and over and over, and then you're going to start to pause so that a child can fill in that word um, at that, that last little line there. So you're going to say, you know, one, two, 
and wait for them to say three. Level seven, once a kid's doing that, what are we looking at? We're looking at those functional words. So what are some words you can do with car? You can do car and truck and go and push and stop and uh, naming all the different kinds of vehicles that you might be playing with. And so, again, I've got some great examples here, and we're almost out of time. I'd hope that I could really get through lots of these uh, different play uh, routines with toys, but you'll get that with your handout, with looking at what you can do with all these levels. So let me give you kind of the wrap-up here. So for individual children, you, can't, you can walk a parent through like bubbles, looking at what all eight levels are here with bubbles, with building, expressive language. You can do that, but what's most effective is to start with what we did at the beginning, and you'll have it there on your handout with these levels, and then you're going to identify, remember how we talked about that? You're going to identify where a child is, and you're going to say, you can either do it the negative way, well, we're not doing phrases, so let's back up. We're not doing functional words, let's back up. Or you can do it the positive way and say, oh my goodness, actions with objects. He already does that. He's already mastered level one because with a car, you know, I can sit here with my car and I can roll it down my leg and he tries to do that. Or, uh, you know, he's every, any little action I do with a car, he tries to put the car in the garage just like me and then wave bye-bye and knock on the door and you're like, oh my goodness, that's level two. He's already doing that. Oh, that's so good. Let's think of some other level two things that he does with toys or in daily routines and so you might go through that and then you say oh he's already doing that level three and you might just again kind of bump up to say oh but you know what now we're all the way up here to level five and I'm not really hearing words like uh-oh and wow and we I'm not really hearing a lot of words like that and so then you say that's where we're going to start with that level or the one right below that with vocalizations in play like oh yeah when, when we play um when we play with a baby doll he'll go or he'll go, mm, mm, mm. And so you, again, know that's where we're going to start. And so then you take that level. You say, okay, well, that's level four. And let's just pair that with level five because he's kind of between those levels. So then you take level four and level five and you say, what were our level four ideas for? What were our sound effect vocal play ideas for bubbles? And then you talk about that. And then you say, what were our vocal play sound ideas for reading books? And then you talk about that. And what could you do with cars? What could you do with baby dolls? Tell me some things that you could do with baby dolls. And then you sit and you really brainstorm with the parent how they can take a routine, a play routine with a toy, and you talk with them about um, how they can get that going. I think I've lost my spoon here. Here it is. You talk with them about how they can get that going, and you say, you know, I don't want us to just have one or two little examples here. Let's come up with all the things that we can uh, do while a kid is playing with a baby doll, and this is what I want you to do with him this week, and I don't want you to work on having him say more or having him say baby. I just want you to work on when you give him a bite, uh, when y'all are pretending to feed the baby, that he goes, Mm, mm, mm. or that he, um, that you, when you brush the baby doll's hair, that he's doing a sound for the brush, like, or that when you, uh, you know, he, or, or it might even be, you know, back at level one, that he tickles the baby, or that he pats the baby, and you are really, really clear with the parent about where they are staying developmentally with every single activity, and so at, this is what I do sometimes with this kind of handout is I'll take it, you know, it's kind of a two-pager. We've got bubbles, balls or balloons, dolls or characters, like, you know, baby dolls, or even something like a little plastic character like Elmo, or potato heads, vehicles, puzzles, and farm animals. We will take all of these seven toys, and I'll just highlight Okay, we're here at level four and level five. This is what I want you to do. We're here at level four and level five. This is what you could do with this. And so we walk through that. And a lot for a lot of times with parents, then you can say, you know, we've really been trying to work on words, which is down here at level seven. But look, we're way up here at level four and level five. So let's stay here. Let's help him get really consistent here. Let's help him own play sounds and own exclamatory words. So then he's ready developmentally to move forward. And a lot of times with parents, they'll really realize, they'll say, gosh, I, that chart really works, Laura. I've been working at a level that's way too hard for this kid. No wonder he was stuck. No wonder he couldn't make any progress. So when you take something like a handout like this, then you can really, really use it. And then once you've done that with a the family, then you introduce something different. You say, 
you know, what about Plato? Does he like Plato? He's he's at that vocalization stage, those exclamatory words. What are some things that we can do at that level that he could do with Play-Doh? Let's think of the things that you could say. Let's pick out three or four things that you're really going to work on. And remember, you're going to get them to really say, you know, they're going to work on with Play-Doh. Oh, gosh, I don't know. It might be something like saying, you know, grunting when they take the top off the Play-Doh or when they're pushing the Play-Doh. So any kind of little vocalization that they could do there. Or let's say that they have a Play-Doh set where they're making, they're pretending to make birthday cakes you know and you might say well why don't you pretend like you're blowing out the candles or why don't you pretend like you're going to eat the cake and say you know a different little noise for that and then you know you're going to make a little cup and you're going to pretend like you're going to drink and go ah and so you give them really really concrete ideas and you say you give me some of your ideas and y'all do that together and y'all work through that together and again this is a wonderful idea for teletherapy where you've taken this model you've taught them this in the session where you've worked on this together and then you say now what are some activities that you've been doing with him that you think you could transition this with and so one of the activities here that we did today or that's on our handout that we did we didn't get to do it but it's, it's available for you balls or balloons and you look at that and you say what, what are some other things? Is there some other kind of toy that would be similar to a ball or a balloon that you could play with? That And, you know, and she might say, oh, my goodness, you know, he doesn't really play ball like I was thinking about, but he loves his brother's soccer ball. Can we do that? Absolutely. Or something like... Um, he might be obsessed with one of his little characters from Paw Patrol. And you say, well, he doesn't like to play baby dolls, but I can take all these little ideas and do it with those little dogs. And so think about that with a parent and help them walk through that. And that's how you really, really use this information uh, therapeutically to develop treatment plans and treatment strategies that are going to meet children exactly where they are. And when we do that, guys, we always, always, always make more progress than when we're working at a level that's too high. Okay, so I'm going to mention the resources that I've uh, shown you today so that you can take advantage of that if you need some more help with this. Remember this entire system with these levels of sequentially uh, more complex utterances or vocalizations. We walk through that in building verbal limitation skills in toddlers. There are so many great ideas for uh, play with toys and even following uh, the same kind of method in daily routines that we're going to talk about in podcast 399 the next show in let's talk about talking there's a whole section that says simple ideas to help children learn uh, during uh, various skills during their daily routines if you are a therapist and you need some help with getting activities to match milestones and goals please check out my uh Therapy manual, teach me to talk. The therapy manual, uh, because it walks through all the milestones that children develop uh, under 12 months all the way to 48 months. If you are back at the level with a kid that you say, he will not imitate actions with objects back at level one because he won't even look at me. I can't get him to sit still for anything. He never wants to do what I'm doing. You've got to work on social engagement. So teach me to play with you is an excellent resource for that. And then lastly, if you just have a little guy who's talking a lot, but you don't know what he's saying, you might not have watched this show, but as a therapist, you might be watching this show and have kids like that that maybe weren't doing this. They're at a much higher developmental level, but they need some help with articulation and speech intelligibility. Then check out my book, Functional Phonology. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you have participated in TeachMeToTalk.com's podcast.